Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi, welcoming you to this episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast. By the time this episode releases on Sunday, December 8, 2019, I will be on my way back from Hartwood Refuge and Retreat Center in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Right now, though, I've got packing to do to get there, so this introduction is going to be brief. I'll just let you know that this talk I'm sharing with you offers both practical advice for establishing practice in your home, along with some reflections on mindfulness of your own hula hoop with an explanation of what that means, as well as mindful engaging in creativity in the arts, since that is on my mind in getting ready for this retreat this weekend. Hope it's useful to you. And if you have any comments or needs, you can get in touch with me through our website, deepsouthdharma.org, or through the anchor.fm slash deepsouthdharma page, where you can leave me a voicemail if you like. So again, welcome. It's really good to see everybody. Um, the, um, how is the temperature right now for folks? Are you still on the warm side? Or are you, you okay? What I may do, I think, I'm gonna pause, I think I may turn the air off just so I'm not hollering at you. And, um, and, uh, and we can turn the fans on, maybe, just to keep the air going. Yeah, great, thank you. So, um, so what I want to talk about tonight is, um, I guess I'm calling this talk, What Supports Our Practice? And so, you know, we just in, over the last month, um, I was away last week, but over the last month we had done sort of a, a series on you know, these factors leading to stream entry and this kind of thing. So, you know, we've talked about things like what's supportive of enlightenment, <laughs> right? But I kind of wanted to just back it up a little more to even just to sort of our everyday experience of what supports our practice. Um, and to sort of open up that topic, I want to read, um, I want to read from the Satipatthana, uh, and it's, it is, I mean, some of us that have been together a while we have uh, read this passage numerous times um, with different emphasis, and um, I'll go ahead and read these. It's just a couple of paragraphs, so I'll go ahead and read the whole thing and see if those of you that have been around a while will notice the part that we have not spent very much time on before. 
The Blessed One said this, Monks, this is the one-way path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the passing away of pain and dejection, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of nibbana, namely, the four establishments of mindfulness, or often we can translate it as the four foundations of mindfulness. What are the four? Here, monks, a monk dwells contemplating the body in the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having subdued longing and dejection in regard to the world. He dwells contemplating feeling in feelings, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having subdued longing and dejection in regard to the world. He contemplates dwelling, sorry, he dwells contemplating mind in mind, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having subdued longing and dejection in regard to the world. He dwells contemplating phenomena in phenomena, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having subdued longing and dejection in regard to the world. And how monks does a monk dwelling the body in the body? So I'm not going to read all of this, but just to get us started here, a monk gone to the forest, to the foot of a tree, or to an empty hut, sits down, folding his legs crosswise, straightening his body, establishes mindfulness in front of him, just mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out, breathing in long he understands I breathe in long, or breathing out long he understands I breathe out long. So I'm going to pause there you get the idea of this. I also want to mention just for maybe people that are maybe a little bit newer that when we talk about uh, these four foundations of uh, breath and body, often we talk about them as breath and body. Uh, breath is sort of tied in with the body. It's really not a separate thing, but, um, but just colloquially we speak of it this way. When we talk about feeling in terms of uh, mindfulness practice as a foundation of mindfulness, we're talking about uh, feeling tone. Right? We're not talking about emotion uh, so much. Um, we're talking about just having just sort of clear attention, noticing this body's reactivity uh, in which everything has this sort of flavor of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Um, and so being aware of feeling tone and being aware of when we have that pleasant response to something or unpleasant or when catching ourselves ignoring things because they're neutral, that sort of thing. And uh, when we talk about mind objects, those are more, uh, I mean, there are a number of things, but one of the things they are, this is where emotions would be. Emotions are not the only kind of mind objects, but uh, emotion has that flavor of perception and cognition with them and all of that. So, um, so I just wanted to mention that, um, that when we talk about feeling in this context, we're talking about sort of the bare physicality of feeling and tone. So um, I don't know if anybody, any of sort of the longer term members of the group sort of noticed the section we haven't spent as much time on yet. Um, some of us may remember there was one very early on, there was an evening that we spent talking about these qualities of uh, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful. Um, and that was, uh, that was a really beautiful discussion, um, just sort of bringing to mind those, um, those qualities. But um, anything that stands out that we haven't spent as much attention on, it seems to me. 
Um, so the part that really stood out to me um, over this week, particularly in terms of this particular topic, is this phrase, having subdued longing and dejection in regard to the world. Um, I think it may be the first time in all the times that I've studied this particular sutta, just the time, that I, uh, that I noticed that the Buddha is suggesting that we all, that not only do we sort of bookmark our longing for the world, that we also bookmark our dejection about the world, that this is part of what gives us support in practicing. So when we talk about subduing longing and dejection in regard to the world, this is, he's sort of presenting this as, you know, that sort of, we do that. So we see he's not talking about uprooting them. Uprooting those would be more a result of practice, <laughs> right? But it's sort of like, um, you know, for people in, for people in recovery circles, you know, there's sort of this, uh, this thing of establishing uh, physical or emotional sobriety um, so that you can do the work that allows you to maintain it. It's sort of the same with this, uh, or similar anyway, that when we, um, if we want to be able to practice regularly, we're not going to, um, we're not trying to, by subduing, we're not talking about suppressing um, we're not talking about, you know, clamping down on our longing for uh, aspects of this worldly existence or, um, or our fear and dejection about some aspects of it, but we're sort of setting aside. That's another way that I've seen that rendered besides uh, subduing is uh, setting aside, putting aside that. Um, when I think of this, and I heard myself a moment ago use the word bookmarking, um, so we sort of bookmark things. It's like, it's almost a sense of like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to sit down and, and meditate for however long I've decided to do that, you know, and I can go back to obsessing about this later if I want to, if I still want to, you know. Um, and it may be that, you know, uh, the hope is that sometimes, you know, we enjoy freedom from that so much that we may decide to enjoy the freedom for longer and longer spaces of time. Um, but it is helpful to know sometimes when we're very attached to the things that make us miserable that you know we can just leave them outside the door and pick them up on the way home if we insist, you know. Um, or not even just here, but in, in our places at home that we do that. Um, so I, to talk about both, so doing both, you know, the uh, I think we often um, have, have the awareness of um, the ways in which we can, um, that we can get distracted or pulled away from our practice or get, you know, just whether it's by, you know, scrolling, I mean, you know, scrolling on phones, scrolling on, uh, which I do as much as, you know, almost as much as anybody I know, maybe not everybody I know, but, um, and so, and, you know, and some of that is, it's, it very much is like playing slot machines. It's like every once in a while you hit something that's truly, truly useful, you know? Um, and so there's this sense of like, okay, I, I actually, you know, I actually appreciate, right? I found my teachers because of, because of the internet. I, you know, those, so I, I want to have a wise relationship to those things, right? but I also, um, I also want to have my practice be 
you know, central. And not just, not, and by my practice, I don't just mean meditation, but I mean, what did I intend to do today? <laughs> um, what, you know, what, that's what, I, when I talk about my practice or my program, it's sort of like, what did I intend to do today? You know, I've, I've started doing this little uh, written thing that is, uh, you know, very, very simple sentence stems of just waking up and jotting, you know, here's how I feel, I'm wake, you know, just waking up and noticing what I feel like, noticing sort of that feeling tone that I wake up with. It gives me a sense sometimes of, A, whether I'm, you know, noticing whether I've had enough sleep or not, did what I, you know, do about supper yesterday evening lead to good rest or not, did <laughs> being up till all hours, how did that work for me, you know. Um, but also noticing, uh, maybe making me more aware of if I've processed a lot in the night in my sleep. You know, it's kind of good to be aware of that before I get up and get moving. I, uh, I was at a thing the other day where a lady, was talk a lady who works with dreams was talking about uh, it's helpful if somebody wants to keep up with their dreams to jot things down before you get up and get out of bed because as soon as you start moving through the day, all that stuff starts breaking up, you know. And so, but even if you're not uh, deliberately focused on working with dreaming uh, or working on uh, mindfulness of your dreams, it may be just taking note of what is that emotional flavor that I'm waking up with. Um, that gives us some sense of what we may need to do in the day to take care of ourselves. So it's, you know, the how am I feeling? I don't make any big deal about it. Just a few feeling words. I, what am I grateful for? You know, I'm grateful for. I'll make today interesting or fun by, right? And it can be super simple, you know. Um, and uh, I, I will help others by, and it might just be, you know, just by doing my job, you know. I mean, it can be, but just it really just sort of helps keep us in front. And I have added one, this because I got those questions from some other exercise that somebody had written, <coughs> and I had to add one of I will take care of myself by, right, because I can make these long lists. I can cook up all kinds of things that I should be doing under the other categories, but I can, you know, forget to, um, you know, send in the renewal on my license plate or something, right? So just like, I'll just take care of business by, you know, those things that can kind of pile up, make a dentist appointment, whatever it is. And then the end of the day, um, just the, the three little things are, uh, I noticed my energy rose, energy, I felt energized when, whatever, my energy dropped when, and, um, and then I feel grateful for, or I am grateful for. So, um, so there's this aspect of beginning and ending with gratitude, which is kind of a nice parenthesis on the day. But that, that little, I mean, it really is a seven minute uh, thing, if that, can be very helpful. So when I say my practice, like I say, I don't just mean meditation. I've deliberately set my life up so that I don't forget to meditate. Um, and so, um, you know, having things like this, and I have a, um, there's a house in town where I do a mindfulness group for them a couple of days a month, and you know, having this. These are things that I do not because I'm such a great meditator, but because that's how to keep this going in my life, is to have things that I uh, am, you know, sort of accountable to, and, and 
Um, and having those things that are scheduled with others is so supportive for then keeping it going in between. Um, so there's that. But, um, but the, so, you know, waking up and noticing how we're feeling, noticing, you know, uh, those sort of basic, um, those sort of basic bodily care things, but also um, noticing that um, getting clear for ourselves how wide or narrow our hula hoop is right now, and this can change, right? So some of us will, some of us are familiar with this language of um, people staying in their own hula hoop or. Um, I used to work with Rebecca at a place where we sometimes assign people to actually wear a physical hula hoop to help them learn to mind their own business. And they'll walk around with it and it's, a, and, it, and it's not only for them, but it is a reminder for other people not to encroach on them or not to, you know, allow them to be. So it's a, you know, um, it can be, and it, it helps people, it helps people that, um, that maybe have had trauma from so young that they never developed a, a, like a boundary sense at all, right? Um, we, we sometimes talk about setting boundaries as if it were something like that I decide to do consciously. And, it's, and the, what I'm talking about is just that sense of like, what is, what's, what's, in my, what's in my scope, what's in my sphere and what's not, for practical purposes, right? Yeah, yeah, we're all one, right? <laughs> But just, just like, you know, certain organs of my body, right, are all part of the same body, but if they don't stay in their lane, we call that <laughs> cancer. Or we call it, you know, so like all of the organs have to stay in their lane so that the one body can function, and so we are that way also. Um, so, so, so this is this hula hoop business is part of uh, really how I, um, I don't know if manage is the right word, uh, word for this, but how I stay in relationship to dejection that can arise about the world. Um, just meaning all the, the sad things we come into contact with, the upsetting things we come into contact with, the tragic things that we hear about, it's sort of like, okay, what is in my sphere? And certain, at certain chapters of life, my hula hoop may feel quite large. At certain chapters of life, it may be that, um, you know, we, some of us, we may find that we're involved in lots of different things where a lot of our attention is, is out there. Um, at other times, um, you know, I, I think of, you know, my daughter who's about to have a baby or, uh, another uh, family friend that's been in town this weekend, and and um, and there's you know, and another young mother in their family, and just how their hula hoop gets very, um, very concentrated, you know, um, and and needs to be for a time. So um, so knowing that our it's not a um, it's not a fixed or rigid thing that I'm talking about but just kind of checking in regularly with, because sometimes our hula hoop can be too small, right? Sometimes some of us overwhelm ourselves with trying to mentally take on all the awful things or all the social justice fighting we could do and, you know, and sort of there's that, that sense of sort of like my energy is, is not only do I not feel good, but my energy then is spilling over, not really, not really impacting anything in a meaningful way. 
right? But then also there can be a sense of like my hula hoop is too small and I'm not going to feel um, at ease until I can jot down on my morning thing, what is something I'm gonna be doing to help somebody other than just myself today? Um, you know, that that's, that that's part of that self-care. Um, you know, even, um, so in the monastic traditions, right, there's, you know, we have our five uh, precepts of, of lay people for sort of your day-to-day -day, uh, practice. Um, and then sometimes you can go on retreats and there'll be this up to eight precepts. The additional three are not sleeping on a high or luxurious bed, um, not wearing, you know, adorning yourself or deliberately, you know, sort of not, no cosmetic kind of stuff, um, just sort of taking yourselves and each other as you are, and, um, and uh, entertainment, right? letting go of entertainment. I, um, I am aware that in my day-to-day -day practice that this is one of those places where for me, even if I were to, even if I were to go in the direction of sort of a, a, a monastic lifestyle, I would probably be very much like my teacher Panjwadi and not do without music, right? Not do without, but um, for, I mean, she's an example of, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a very, very deliberate about, um, and this isn't, and when I say deliberate, I don't even mean, you know, choosing some sort of religious music over not religious music, but, but music where there is, and not just music, but movies and all of these other things where there is some, um, where there's a level of quality to, and, and realism and, uh, somehow being in harmony with reality and with natural law in some way uh, so that that our that we are sort of somehow inspired even if not uh, always entertained or in you know not necessarily entertained in frivolous ways but uh, I think about um, um, I always think about the movie the hours right which is a you know, on the face of it, right, a real downer. I love that, I find that movie so inspiring because everything in it is so well done, right? And so, now whether, <laughs> whether how dharma or not dharma it is, or, that it, or how much it matters or not, but for me, right, those are certain things, the um, poetry, music, movies, you know, live anything, comedy, right, any of that, there is sort of the, uh, to me, there's very much a parallel process with the Buddha finding out that starving himself didn't serve his practice. Starving himself didn't take him in the direction of enlightenment. And so finding, okay, what is, what, where is the nourishment? And so, um, you know, if we are on a steady diet of sad and bad news, um, then we need to be, um, or we can, we have the option to look at um, where can I uh, also expose myself to, uh, to input that is actually inspiring and, um, and sort of uh, not only inspires in terms of hope or, or, what, or interest or curiosity, um, but also just in, inspires uh, our own uh, create creativity in some in some way. 
Um, so I find that those um, are aspects that sometimes don't get talked about very much um, in Dharma circles, but I really find that just for that, um, that day-to-day sort of finding that middle way of, um, yeah, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to fritter the day away on stupid entertainments that leave me feeling just sort of mildly, you know, at the, at the end of it, right, at the end of the day. But to, um, to support, I told, I told somebody the other day about something, getting, buying some vinyl, something, music and and they and they were like oh you must have quite a collection and I said well not sort of not really I've got some old you know things and then you know more recent things from my daughter's friends but my version of tithing besides giving to like you know Heartwood Refuge to support our retreat center and uh, uh, giving some to the Buddhist, Buddhist global relief to address hunger in the world like my version of tithing is to support uh, artist, you know, um, and so if I'm listening to their stuff, I want to buy their stuff. If I, you know, that kind of thing, um, and, and go to live events. Um, and, you know, I don't have big bucks to spend on that kind of stuff, but what I, I do, what, I, what, what I'm able to in my uh, demographic range. So, um, so those are the things actually that I find um, sort of adds some, um, add some energy. So I love that particular noticing that I felt energized by the, not just wound up, but energized by certain things that I did today. And then also noticing, so the flip side of that I do want I don't want to neglect to mention is noticing when, where energy drops. I will say that so far, what I find consistently where my energy drops is when I um, when I choose to believe uh, or when I fall into buying into or believing scary thoughts or unkind thoughts. Um, unkind thoughts directed for myself or others. And so just, and that, and that has been helpful even to see that pattern is there. Like, oh, I thought that, I didn't know that pattern was still there, you know. So, um, and just, and it really seeing that, oh, that caused a little drop in energy in that part of the day or whatever, it, it, there's something that it does in terms of, um, even though this talk isn't so much about motivation, right? A lot of times when we read that particular um, sutta, we, you know, we focus on all the motivations for mindfulness practice and, and um, how it, you know, brings an end to grief and da-da-da-da, but, um, but it does um, really make us highly aware of um, the results of our actions when we notice just on a day-to-day basis what adds or detracts from our, from our energy. So um, those are some things that I've been working with lately in terms of supporting practice. And then I'll, I'll mention briefly um, just things like having a particular place, a particular seat that I use that I don't do anything else in that spot, right? Um, I don't, you know, I don't use a chair in my house to meditate or a cushion where I do anything else. I don't check my phone there. I don't pay bills there. I don't, you know, it's, um, and even, um, you know, it's nice if, I mean, I do have a little candle and a Buddha statue and stuff, but you don't have to have that. But, it, but what is helpful to have is, is that that spot is uh, a spot where that's all you do because it, it does help the mind to settle. Um, and then finding, you know, being 
uh, willing to be flexible with yourself about what time of day works for you for formal practice. I'm talking now in terms of formal student practice. Um, not assuming that it has to be the same as anybody else or as often as anybody else, but just noticing what part of the day um, seems to uh, lend itself to, to your being more consistent with it, you know. So, um, and also knowing that having some momentum, and this is the last thing I'll share, um, and I want to give because I want us to have time for other people to share sort of the things that they do, that you do that supports your practice. But, um, but having, um, when those, when the mind sort of makes a suggestion of, well, don't you think you need to maybe put in another load of clothes or, you know, whatever that is, that there's always something more important. To just remember that just in those little moments, it's so helpful One of the, is just to have some momentum going for practice. So to just go, okay, well, you know, let me just sit 10 minutes. And then if I still feel like I need to get up and do something, I can. But usually 10 minutes is enough for us to go, oh, no, I got time. You know, now sometimes we really don't have time and 10 minutes is, is what we need to do. And that's, you know, nothing wrong with that. But usually if we can just get, get a little momentum going, um, that actually will support us in, in practicing the way we want to. So with that, I will um, hush and um, welcome comments and sharing about your own experience with, with this. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.